say amen. Amen. I said this last week, but you know that the Surgeon General recently raised an alarm in recent months. That there is an epidemic that's happening in our nation. And this is not an epidemic like the pandemic was, like Corona or COVID-19 coronavirus, man. It's not like that. It's more of a social epidemic. Something that is harming a lot of people and something that is having an immense impact on people's mental, physical, and emotional well-being. And it's something called loneliness and isolation. Isolation in many ways has been connected to cardiovascular disease. It's been connected uh, to uh, anxiety, depression. And some people say, or in the study it said that it's the equivalent of smoking 15 packs of cigarettes a day. It's something really, really detrimental to our health. But we also said that God has a solution for anxiety and depression and, and, and isolation. And it's something called the local church. The local church, which is also considered the body of Christ, is the antidote for society's ill of loneliness. And specifically in Acts, 4, or Acts 2.42, what we learn is that the main way or the main system in which God combats it is through these groups called crews. Some call it small groups. Other churches call it community groups. Others call it life groups. Whatever it is, what it is is intentional groups of people that are going in the same spiritual direction, doing life together by learning the Bible, praying, spending time with one another, and sharing some type of meal over the table. What we've learned in the scripture, learned yesterday, is that these crews are intended to not only combat loneliness, but to deal with one of the biggest issues that each and every one of us have, which is pushing away accountability. Accountability is when someone holds you or calls you out on the standard that you said that you were going to live to but haven't quite lived up to so crews in essence help people to be able to fight loneliness to push back isolation and to welcome accountability into their lives now when I talk about crews which are going to be launching in September you guess that you can meet us at the next step station we'll help you for that all day long when they launch man some of you are really really excited about it Let's be honest, like you are like, whoo, this is what I've been waiting for because I've been coming to church for a while and I'm really excited to build some meaningful relationships, particularly with people going in the same spiritual direction. I'm ready for the book studies and the Bible studies and the mom's meetups and the youth crew because Lord knows I need to get my kid involved in a lot of stuff that's happening in church because they're already involved in a bunch of other activities, but I want them to be with, I want be with like-minded students who want to see them grow and mature in their faith. So some of you are really, really excited, and you're going to be tempted to join more than one crew. Let me encourage you, slow your roll. Instead of being shallow with many, go deep with a few. Because quality is better than quantity. I like steakhouses much more than I like buffets. Because buffets don't focus on quality, they focus on quantity. So I'm going to encourage you to go deep with a few. But some of you are excited about that, but some of you are like, mm, I don't know, Pastor. I don't know about that. And it's not because you're busy, and it's not because you're shy, but you're nervous about this idea of joining a crew or doing anything more than being a participant on Sunday morning because you're nervous that you're going to experience something called church hurt. 
Church hurt. So in one sense, you're like, I know that community is a good idea, but what if this is like my last experience at church where I, where I exerted a lot of effort, a lot of energy, and invested a lot of my money into a community of people that ultimately shunned me? Or you're like, hey, I haven't done church before, but I know somebody. I've watched documentaries. I know how the church in some ways can be a corrupt organization that has hindered people all the time. Let me just tell you, that's not every church. Every church isn't corrupt. Every pastor don't ride around in Cadillacs. And we all don't wear snakeskin shoes or Gucci or Ferragamo. Don't judge all churches by what you've seen on a few documentaries that highlight a few churches because there's nothing wrong with church growth. The problem is when your church grows at the pace that makes you not able to care for its members. That's the problem. And the reason that it's important that your church grows is because heaven and hell are real. And while heaven and hell are real, that means that our church needs to grow so we can push back the darkness and rescue those who are, uh, who are in line to experience eternal judgment. But if you grow at all costs without caring for the people, then what in essence happens is the church will implode because God did not call us. God did not send us children for us to neglect. Does that make sense? And so every church is not like that. And so you were like, hey, I don't know if I want to be a part of the community because either myself or somebody I know has experienced church hurt. Let me just tell you, when Sarah and I started this church in 2021, along with a, a great group of leaders that helped us. One thing we really wanted was for this to be a place where skeptics and critics can ask questions and get answers. We don't fight up against that. You can have a different sexual ethic than us. You can have a different view on end times than we do, and we will still love you and answer your questions lovingly. But we also wanted to be a place where people who have experienced church hurt can heal from it. And so today, let me just tell you, so today we want to tackle this issue of church hurt head on. Um, I'm going to do the first half this week and the second half next week. But I want to get us on the pathway to healing. So this is what I want to do. I want to give you the roadmap. Here's what we're going to do. Firstly, we're going to define church hurt. We're going to define church hurt. Secondly, we're going to describe church hurt. And lastly, I'm going to tell you what dramatizes church hurt. I was trying to alliterate that dramatizes. You could use another synonym, but that's the one that I used. Amen, somebody. Dramatizes. What, what is the gasoline that you pour on church hurt that makes it ignite and burn things up? That's what I'm trying to explain there. So let's start with this first one. Let me, let me define church hurt. Here's what church hurt is. Church hurt is a term that describes the pain, sadness, emotional scarring, or abuse experience within a church context. Let me say it again. It's a term used to describe the pain, the sadness, emotional scarring, or abuse people experience within the church context. Now, this normally happens a, a plethora of ways. It can happen from laity to leaders. It can happen from leaders to leaders, or it can happen from congregation to congregation. It can be something that's done unintentionally, or it can be something that's done intentionally. But nevertheless, it is pain that stems from someone inflicting a wound on somebody within the church context. 
Now, this issue can be minor. Let's be honest. There, are, there is minor episodes of church hurt, like an unkind remark or a judgy look. You've all gotten that judgy look in church before. I looked at you funny when you showed up late last week. Amen. It's just a joke. Sorry, not sorry. Or it's, a, it's an unresolved conflict that exists in the church, right? One of the examples of this would be uh, it, uh, it was a letter written to a church in this area called Philippi in the ancient Near Eastern region. And Paul is really talking about joy. I don't know if I'd have joy if I was in jail. I wouldn't have a lot of joy. I'm just going to be honest with you. And it's like not like the modern jails. I'm talking about darkness. They didn't have standards. It was dirty. His feet were like immersed in urine and feces. It was terrible. But then he gets to chapter 4, and he says, I want Euodia and Sententi to agree in the Lord. Because there was a disagreement that was happening in the congregation that was so bad that it was ripping it apart. So he says, I don't care about what y'all arguing about. I'm not even involved. I'm not even going to mention it, but I want y'all to agree. That is probably on the minor end of church hurt where they were emotionally scarring each other because of the words that they were using. And Paul said, shut up and fix it. On the other end, there is major church hurt. This is what I would describe as abuse that goes on in churches. This is when manipulation happens. This is when cover-ups happen in the local church. You see this in another letter that the Paul wrote to the Galatian church. Paul was a church planner. He started, he wrote, he wrote many, and he started many churches in the ancient Near Eastern region, in the Mediterranean region. And he writes a letter to the church of Galatia describing an event that happened between he and Peter. Peter was one of Jesus' main disciples. But Peter had something that many of us don't want to admit that we have called prejudice in our hearts. And so Peter was hanging out with his non-Gentile brothers and sisters, but as soon as his Jewish buddies who didn't, who didn't spend time with Gentiles came along, he decided that he was going to move away from him. So Paul says, what you're doing is not in step with the gospel. He did it. It was so bad that it caused division in the church. So Paul challenges him right there on the spot because there are some sins that don't need to be addressed in private. They need to be addressed in public. So Paul addresses this caused a major issue in that local church. This is a major problem. So we could describe in some ways church hurt as an autoimmune disease. Because it's described as a body, instead of us fighting foreign pathogens like slander, gossip, lack of Bible reading, and prayerlessness, what happens is we turn on the other healthy cells and in the body, and that causes something called inflammation. And the inflammation is the drama that happens because instead of dealing with real issues, we're dealing with minor ones. So what's happening here, friends, is this is a real problem that's defining church hurt. Let me describe church hurt to you. Describe church hurt. I'm so happy for what they're doing on Route 70. Anybody happy about that? Anybody happy? That's the road right out here. They're adding another highway. They're adding another lane. It's so good. It's no more sitting in traffic. You're like, why am I sitting in traffic in the main artery of the town? And the reason that they're doing all this construction is because they want, the to, they want the traffic to flow in both ways. 
both eastbound and westbound. And just like traffic flows both ways, church hurt flows both ways between leaders and laity and between pastors and parishioners. So let me start with how church hurt happens from leaders in my position to people in the pew. Let me tell you, one of my jobs is to feed you the word of God. I want you to, I want you to know that. I should have or should be biblically astute, theologically accurate, and, and, and systematically precise in my communication of God's word. That's why we do something called expository preaching. Expository preaching is when we take a passage of scripture and we elicit the principles out of it so that it's faithful to what the ancient audience would have understood and then apply this in the modern context. Does that make sense? Part of my job is to feed you the word, but it's also to care for you. When your mother passes away or when you go through a hard season of life, I often will send you a message or you lose a job. It's often me or my wife that will send you a message letting you know that we care and we got your back. But it's also my responsibility because I can't care for all 300 people that attend on Sunday mornings to create systems by which you are cared for. And one of the ways that you are cared for is by, guess what, joining crews. Because your crew can provide pastoral care in a way that I might not be because I have limited bandwidth as your pastor and Pastor Jacob as your pastor. Does that make sense? So my job is to do that and is to protect you from false prophets. False prophets are those who proliferate and pontificate about God, but whose hearts are far away from him. Who use the scriptures in a cunning way to manipulate parishioners but really don't have a desire to teach you about the main person that the scriptures are about, which is Jesus. So my job is to protect you, is to care for you, is to provide for you. But get this, there is a big difference between fulfilling one's duties and aligning with abuse. You know that it's abuse when a pastor or leader is using their job or their platform or their authority for personal gain. Um, anybody that sell, is trying to sell you miracle spring water, abuse. Anyone that's stealing money from the church, abuse. Anyone that is sleeping with members of the congregation, that is abuse. Anyone that's verbally abusive to the parishioners and cruel and self-seeking shepherds, that's abuse. Anyone that creates a spiritual environment where, they're the, where the people only experience God through them is abuse and manipulation. Anyone that throws around the word anointing and uses it as a term to bewitch people is abusive. Right? That's, that's what that is. We hurt people. Now, one of the, the classic examples of this is when you look at an Old Testament book called Samuel. God calls this little young man, but at that time, there were two priests that were in charge named Hophni and Phinehas. And we learn about their abusive practices because they're doing a few things. Number one, they're sleeping with women in Israel. They're using their authority so that they can have illicit sexual relationships with people that are not their wives. 
On top of that, they were stealing a portion of the sacrifice that was to be, that was to be offered to God. What that is is stealing. So on top of that, their father, Eli, was complicit in the crime because rather than speaking up for the victims of sexual assault and sexual abuse, he was complicit in the crime and did nothing at all. So God called Samuel and said, because you, because you have done this, I'm going to make sure that destruction happens to your household because I listen to the voice of those that have been abused and I will shun those who are arrogant and prideful. And so eventually he was relieved from his duty and he, his family were taken out of position. I, I'm, I'm going to be honest with you. I just love that. Because it means that even if my voice is silenced by man, that is still heard by God. And he still does provide a little bit of wrath to punish those who are, who, are, who are intentionally trying to harm me or cover up systemic abuse in the local church. Are y'all hearing me today? So there are many ways, and I can go on and on and on, about the myriad of ways that church leaders hurt church members. But remember, like Route 70, abuse goes both ways. Because what you may not know is that pastors and leaders are also recipients of abuse. Uh, we, we receive abuse at times when there's baseless accusations made about us and we are not given the benefit of the doubt. When people fight pastors about, uh, uh, when people fight us or gossip about us instead of praying for us or undermine, the, undermine what the leader is seeking to build in the local church. And so, or what normally happens is we become weary and worn out from unnecessary drama about peripheral issues. Right, what tends to happen is this, was, this is what happens. Let me give you the, I could write a book on this. What's what happens, this is one of the ways that pastors experience hurt, is we often will challenge somebody on their behavior. Something they said, showing up on time, or a myriad of other things. That person gets offended and confides in somebody else in the church so they have this shared dissatisfaction. That creates an echo chamber of gossip. And then what happens is when the pastor asks them about it, they get upset with the pastor about it and they either repent or they leave. But when they leave, they maintain a relationship with the person in the church that didn't leave. So what happens is they're, un, they're, they're communicating, Pastor, I want the community that you have helped to foster, but I don't want your leadership. Does that make sense? So the pastor oftentimes has to be careful that his, his he or she's heart is not hardened because you can't really lead people that you're suspicious of. And then on top of that, it really impacts our families. Here's why. Because our kids ask us, what happened to so-and-so? What happened to my friend here? Where are they at? So what happens is we see people grow up or children grow up that we've baptized or that we've walked with, but their parents have cut us off and we don't talk to them anymore. Are y'all with me today? So this happens both ways. And I'm going to be honest. Can I just be transparent? When that happens, I have acted petty at times. God is working on me. I promise you that. He's working on me. I've been praying. I've been doing the internal work. But sometimes when I see those pictures of angry people hanging out with my healthy people in the church, I'm like, mm -hmm. I just put a black heart underneath it on Instagram. I don't do that anymore. I'm just confessing my sin. That's my sin. 
Y'all don't, okay. All right, I won't confess it anymore. I won't confess myself. I'm not going to confess it in the second service. I'm gonna get a later. I'm gonna get a letter later. You can send that letter to J. Julian at AccelerateChurch.tv. But that's what happens. Hurt flows both ways. So let's talk about this. Let, let's let's talk about this. With all this offense going around, from clergy to laity, from laity to clergy, from members to pastors, the pastors, the directors, from directors to court. What do we do? Let's talk about how. Church hurt is dramatized for a second. In order to heal from church hurt, you have to be able to tell what exacerbates church hurt. And the main thing that we learn exacerbates church hurt in this passage is a, an enemy called bitterness. Bitterness. I don't throw liquid fuel or lighter fuel on my charcoal anymore because I heard that it's unhealthy. I use the little stack and put the little thing under it. That's right, that's right, Dr. Green. Yeah, you put it underneath it, it gets it hot. It's great. But I used to use lighter fluid because lighter fluid would exacerbate the fire much more quickly. And what happens is many of us are experiencing church hurt right now, and rightfully so because you've been deeply hurt by the church. But what exacerbates that problem is the deep-seated bitterness that some of us have in our hearts. Bitterness is this intense dislike and hostility towards people that takes root within us as a reaction to a painful or traumatic encounter. It's, it's an intense dislike or hostility toward people that take root within us as a reaction to a painful or traumatic encounter. And today what we get is a portrait of bitterness in our passage. The man who wrote this, his name is Asaph. Let me somebody say Asaph. I got up at a conference one time and called him Asapha. I was so embarrassed. And I was speaking at a youth conference, and somebody came up to me like, hey, Pastor, that was a great sermon. Who's Asaphah? I was like, it's right there in the script. They said, Asaph? <laughs> it, was, it was awful. I was like, shut up. I got a degree. That's what I told him. Again, I don't know if it's right. I don't think it's right what I said to him when I told him that. Anyway, Asaphah is here. And he's a worship leader. Oh, I know my, my English majors are cringing right now. Addie is just hating that I'm saying that right now. Uh, Asaph is a worship leader. And he's a, he's a great worship leader. He's got his skinny jeans on. He's got his little box haircut, you know, the little mohawk with the dyed streak. He's killing it. He's singing songs. He's writing songs. He has his guitar. He, he's doing great. But, but in this passage, he's sharing his, his, he's being honest about his unhappiness. And his unhappiness stems from the fact that the unrighteous people around him are doing better than he is. He's like, God, I pray more than these people, but they got more money than me. I, I, I write more songs than they do, but they always seem to be on luxurious vacations. Like, I, I do all of this stuff for you, but I'm not seeing any fruit in my life from it. And so that leads him to a place where many of us are that ex have experienced church hurt, and that's this feeling of bitterness. This feeling of bitterness. Look how he describes it in verse 21. He says, when I became embittered, embittered. Now, 
What I love about this is it's so refreshing because he's honest. He's like, there was a season in my life that I was bitter. How do you know when you're bitter? Here's the first. He tells us in that verse. He says, because the innermost, my innermost being was wounded. My innermost being is what does he mean when he says innermost being your innermost being are your deepest emotions. It's your thoughts and feelings. It's 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 though it's the deep seated feelings that you have in your heart, in your mind and bear and recognizing your bitterness can be tricky. But can I give you a few steps on how you how you can acknowledge it? Here's the first one. You know, you're bitter when you're get this carrying around a bag of offense. Carrying around a bag of offense. My birthday is coming up. I'm excited about it, right? I'm going to be 26, man. I feel so young and amazing. It's going to be great. Uh, a few years ago, some of our, one of our pastors, Pastor Jacob and his wife, Brooke, uh, they decided to take me camping for my birthday. I was out there in Tim boots, true religion jeans, a fresh white tee, and a Phillies fitted. Had no idea what I was doing. No idea what I was getting involved with. I thought it was the luxurious camping, but we put on a book bag with all the supplies and we had to camp two miles into the woods. Pastor Jacob apparently knows about fruits. So he's like, hey, Pastor Aaron, why don't you go over there and eat that wild blueberry? I was like, nah, <laughs> nah, I've seen how these movies go. I've seen it. I, was like, I know how this goes. I'm not going to eat a blueberry. So I went over there and ate the blueberry and it was actually delicious. And so we were trekking through the woods I got my Tims on, I'm sweating, I'm hot. And so we finally make it to camp. And I'm thinking when we get to camp, there's gonna be like a little cabin or something. I'm like, yo, a little cabin there? There was a hole in the ground. <laughs> like a hole, like, no, like, like a dirt hole, doc. Like there was a hole in the ground. I was like, is this the camp? They were like, yeah. So they got up there in like 10 minutes, like, like Tennessee lumberjacks and set up camp and all this type of stuff. By the time they did that, I was tired, y'all. I didn't know what to pack, so I had pajamas on. I was out there with long pajamas. They were looking at me like, hey, what's going on right now? And so I'm going to do what any self-respecting man do, would do. I went to bed. I went to sleep. Had to use the bathroom in the middle of the night. I had never used the outhouse before. I was doing bad out there. But the reason I went to sleep so early is because I was carrying around this big, heavy bag. And the reason that some of us are emotionally worn out and exhausted is because we are carrying around a bag of offense. You are carrying around a bag of hurt and you have mentally and emotionally shackled yourself to the person that hurt you. You take them to work with you. They're there when you wake up at wake up in the morning and they go to vacation with you. It's because when you're bitter, you carry around a fence like a to me book bag on a regular basis and eventually it's going to wear you down. And this is what he's saying. He said, I got I got weary because I was carrying around this bag of offense. Here's the second one. You ruminate on the offense. Hopefully I said that right. Is that how you say that? Ruminate? Ruminate? Woo, what is it? Yeah, that. That. You ruminate on the offense. I don't know if you know, but I'm not a real estate agent. I'm not a real estate agent. It seems like a hard job. You know, real estate, selling commercial and residential property. But I am, and you are, a real estate agent of a different kind. Because we have to be careful how we give people our mental real estate. It's a valuable, valuable commodity. And when you're always thinking about the offense, when you're always ruminating on it and it's marinating in your heart and mind on a regular basis, then it might mean that you're experiencing bitterness right now. It might mean that. Here, here's the third one. 
Your judgment is clouded. Your judgment is clouded. Look what he says. He says, um, he says this in verse 22. He said, I was stupid. Somebody say stupid. That's what he says. Now, remember, Asaph is a songwriter. Asaph is an influential worship leader in ancient Israel. He's Brandon Lake on steroids. That's who he is. He, I mean, that's, that's, that's who the guy is. He's, he's tied tripping. So he's not a stupid guy, but what he's saying is when I was experiencing bitterness, I lacked wisdom. And if wisdom is the principal thing, and with all you're getting, get understanding, and you lack that, what happens is you lose the ability to see beyond your situation. You lose the ability because all you can do is think about that particular thing. It obscures your judgment, and you make decisions that you normally wouldn't on a regular basis. So what he's saying is my judgment was clouded. Um, have you ever tried to take a picture? And then you take a picture and then you realize that the camera is smudged. Isn't that awful? How did, I don't ever keep this stuff on me. I just wipe it on my leg. I don't know if you should wipe the camera on your leg like that. But here's the thing. If you take a picture with a smudged camera or the smudged lens, it distorts the picture. And when your heart or your soul is distorted by bitterness, you can't see the things that God is trying to do in the midst of your bitterness. Why? Because it's clouded. Because you just can't see what's above you. Here, here, here's the fifth thing. You become, you lose, or fourth thing, you lose the perspective of the bigger picture. We often define ourselves by seasons when God is trying to define us by a lifetime. What happened to you was unfortunate, but it was a season of your life. It does not have to become your identity. So what happens is, at times, as I was camping through the woods, if you focus too much on one tree and ignore the markers in the forest, you get lost. And what's happening is some of us are getting lost in bitterness so we can't see the bigger perspective or the bigger picture of what God is doing in our lives. Here's the fifth one. You become primarily driven by your emotion. Primarily driven by your emotion. Look what he says. He says, I didn't understand, and get this, I was an unthinking animal, an unthinking animal. I used to have hamsters when I was younger. I didn't know you couldn't put two hamsters in a cage together, or whatever you call it, the enclosure, because they fight with each other. They don't even think about it, they just fight with one another, they just, they just get to it. In other words, they're acting out of impulse, not out of reason. And many of, when he says that he's acting like an animal, he's not saying that he doesn't have wisdom or knowledge. He's saying that when you're bitter, you act out of that bitterness instinctively instead of taking time typically to contemplate and think about what God is doing and how you can make a good decision. Now, I know somebody's out there as the band comes, somebody's out there saying, Pastor, yes, I'm bitter. I'm bitter deep in my soul. And I know that you're not telling me to overlook the offense because what happened to me was very, very sinister. But I'm bitter in my soul. You do not know, Pastor, what they have done to me. I've been robbed of my innocence. Now I'm just engulfed in hypervigilance on a regular basis. 
they, don't you understand that they harmed my children? They, they took advantage of me. They hurt me in ways that I can't even imagine. I think about the pain on a regular basis. Don't you understand that, yes, I am bitter. But if I'm honest, I feel like I'm justified in my bitterness because of the assault that has happened to my mind and to my heart. I was robbed of something, pastor, that I will never get back in my life. And then on top of that, it was covered up and nobody did anything for, about it. And I was there just experiencing the pain of this issue all by myself. And if that's you, let me just say I'm happy you're here. And let me dignify you by not giving you a quick response or a simple solution. Because this is something that's going to take some time to work through. But Paul said this. He said, let go of all bitterness and envy. Because when you let it go, what happens is you get to experience the healing on the other side. Because even if you get what you want, say that person experienced punishment for what they did. It still would not be enough because the resentment and bitterness in your heart would hinder you from being freed of the pain of that particular incident. So here's what I'm saying. No, 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 I don't understand the situation. I don't get it, but I know who does understand it, and it's Jesus. Jesus understands the bitterness. He understands that. Think about this, friends. He was, his friends abandoned him. One of his buddies, Peter, said this. He said, Father, I'll go with you all the way to the end. And when he was taken away by the high priests and the Roman centurions, you know what happened? He abandoned them. He said, by the time the crow cries three times, you will abandon me. On the third time, Jesus, with a, with a bloodied face and a black eye, looked at Peter and said, you didn't have my back. The religious leaders, the one who thought they had life because they were looking at the scriptures, the ones in whom Jesus died for, decided that they wanted him crucified. The Romans pierced his hands. Even the thief on the cross said, if you're, if you're God, take yourself down. But that's not all, friends. He also could have been bitter because it was our sin that kept him on the cross. He looked down the corridors of time and he saw our anxiety, he saw our envy, he saw our selfishness, he saw our unholy behavior, he saw all those things. But instead of saying, Father, obliterate them, Father, knock them down, get rid of them, you know what Jesus said? Father, forgive them, for they don't know what they're doing. What he did was he entrusted himself to the Father who was going to work everything out to the counsel of his own will, and he trusted judgment to go into God's hands. And I want to tell you, you, you might be bitter right now, and it's going to take a process, and it's going to be a process. I'm not saying that you don't pursue justice. If you need to go to the cops, you go to the cops. If you need to, to, to talk to a counselor or talk to the higher-ups, you absolutely do that. But what I am also saying is that while you're working for justice, also pursue getting rid of bitterness because even if you get the resolution that you want bitterness will hinder you from experience and I want you to know that when Jesus said father forgive them for they don't know what they're doing that wasn't a show of weakness that was a show of strength 
That was him saying that despite what you have done to me, I won't let your evil action take the soil of my heart and make it, uh, and make it poisonous. And I just want to encourage you today. Maybe you came in and you just feel a little bitter in your heart. You just feel a little angry. And I want you to know that God loves you and that Accelerate Church is one of those churches that wants to walk with you throughout time, walk with you out throughout the process. It's not to say that something won't, that, that, it's not to say that everything is going to be perfect, but it is to say that God promises to walk with us throughout the process and we're here with you. And so even if you don't feel like we can understand what's going on, I want you to know that Jesus understands and he welcomes us to come because we could have been bitter. He could have been bitter with us, but despite our sin, despite the things that we've done, he still lets you have air in your lungs. He still let your skin be nice and clear and looking good. He gave you a little bit of insurance so you can get that prescription that you need. Or go to the doctor. It's time to go to the doctor, by the way, if you haven't, by the way, this year. Go on to the doctor. Get checked out. What I'm saying is he's blessed us with more than we deserved for the bad situation that we're in and for the things that we've done. So I want to encourage you to let bitterness go. Begin the process so that you can experience God's healing. Father, I pray over all those who are in the congregation today, those with me, those online, Lord, as many of us that are going through the sea of bitterness right now, we're swimming through it, we're trying to lift our heads above it, I pray that you would help us experience comprehensive and holistic healing in this season from it. Lord, I pray for those who have experienced major church hurt and minor church hurt and intermediate, whatever it is, Lord, I pray that you will bring a sense of healing hope and encouragement to their souls because you you father are the one that heals you are the one that delivers and you are the one that encourages so lord we love you and we honor you in jesus name and if you agree that why don't you say amen